rhino on a pickle Just want to ride on my motorcycle Hello everybody and welcome. This is the Nokomoto Podcast, episode number 169, I think. And we are coming to you again from Shea Pete, Shea Moto G Pete. And I'm your host, Moto G Pete. With me is your other host, Swiggy. You here in Northern Colorado. That's what the no co stands for where we got another one of our 300 days of sunshine. We get every year here. Who let's see. You know, there's been some big news around the Moto one podcast network studios uh, offices. I don't know if everyone saw, well, Okay, basically, the legal department's been in an uproar because without my knowing, I got published. So there's this little publication called American Motorcyclist Magazine who took it upon themselves without securing my my permissions to print a picture of me naked. You heard that correctly. (laughs) Doing a burnout on Swiggy Scooter with fireworks coming out of my helmet. Which, I mean, I, you know, it's, I mean, mom's been prouder, but it's not, it's not, it's not a low point in my life. It's not, but you know, the, the, like, look, Moto One's a big organization. It's quite, there's quite a bureaucracy. There's a lot of, you know, did someone secure the rights? Am I going to get you know, kickbacks for this? You know, like, you know, do I get a cut of of uh, of um, of the money from this magazine? I mean, I don't think that. I think it's just a free magazine they send out to AMA members. But you know, the, the questions that need to be asked, and um, we it, it's consuming one hundred percent of the legal team's time. And I think, in fact, they've like they've put a few other firms on the case as well. So we'll. Uh, I mean, the, it's taking up all the president's time. So it's been a quiet week for anything that's not to do with that at Moto One Podcast Network Studios. Now, as far as this show goes, what are we going to talk about today? I think we're going to talk about MotoGP, but since Mizano Round 2 is happening tomorrow as we record this, I think the thing to do is to kind of make some predictions and I don't want to talk about the last two races per se, because time has passed. I want to talk about the momentum of the key riders going into these last few rounds. I think I want to, do, at the end of this episode, we should talk some MotoGP in the context of the championship wrapping up. Because we've got a real tight championship in all three categories. It's uh, Mazzano's not till the 24th. Is it not this weekend? Nope. Oh, well, then this is perfect timing. Okay. I thought it was tomorrow. Okay. Well, then there we go. And then we've got our best worst bike segment as always. And then I got a couple little squirrely news items that we should go over. And I think that'll make a decent episode. So let's get into best worst bike in the world this week. You ready to do it? Yep. All right. So, here we go. It's best worst bike in the world this week. We have each picked a motorcycle. 
and one's going to be the best bike in the world this week, and one is going to be the worst. We don't know what each other have chosen. It's always a surprise. Now, we might pick something that's controversial. What if one of us has a totally garbage bike or a totally wonderful bike that is like your favorite dream bike, and we label it the worst? Should you be upset? Maybe. Hey, maybe we're trolling you, and that's the point. There's no such thing as bad publicity, right? Maybe we're doing a little Fortnite, putting out a video that we know everyone's just going to fucking blow up about. But not really, because we don't think that deeply about the show probably normally. It's just a fun way to look at two different bikes in a way that you might not normally look at them. So send a loving, constructive email to contact at nokomotopodcast.com. Or if you really want to just let your feelings fly, join the Patreon and send us exactly what you think there. Okay? I will start accepting non-constructive, totally bullshit, argumentative emails on Patreon. <laughs> Which, by the way, I did get stickers for now. So I think I managed it for all... I have to go back and check, but I believe at all levels, if you sign up for the Patreon, you get stickers now. And hopefully by the time this episode drops, I think uh, Moto Sluts get a coffee mug as well with exclusive new logos on them. I don't know, maybe I, I might be able to do it so you can choose to get something like a, um, a, a choice of two different logos. I don't know. I'll have to play more with it. But I, I know it's like a couple weeks late, but I did make good on my promise. There's merch on the Patreon, so boom. All right, Swigs, you have worst bike in the world this week. I do. And are you ready to reveal it? I am. Okay. And the worst bike in the world this week is? The Honda Rebel 500. Oh. Okay. Is is this leading, perhaps, on the argument I made for the 300 being the best, so the 500 is just superfluous? Uh, that's That's a strong part of it, yes. So, I mean, think about how, you know, the the 300 is kind of just this super straightforward thing. I think you, you said it was, like, this is the cleanest, like, finest, like, Chinese import I've ever seen. But it's right. so good that it can't possibly be a Chinese import. But it's in that level of, like, straightforward and and clean and, like, minimalist. And that makes a lot of sense because a lot of people we're looking at the rebel early on as sort of like this bike that you could customize, but in a lot of ways it doesn't make sense because who wants like a super custom 500 CC cruiser in America? Basically no one. And in many ways it's styled like a cruiser, but in reality it's just kind of like a cruiser looking standard. So, it doesn't really make a lot of sense from that perspective. Now, the the very basic clean look on the Rebel 300 makes perfect sense. And the way that everything's just kind of straightforward and there's nothing thrilling about it, but that's kind of what you want in a starter bike. But 
for a larger bike, you know, if you're moving on to your second bike or you're moving up from a, from like a 250 or something, like just scaling up the basic kind of 250 concept, like doesn't make a more premium superior bike. Like it has to go somewhere else. Well, it's like how uh, it's, this isn't such a strong thing in the U S but it is, it has been in Europe for a while where a lot more high-end luxury cars are coming with more fuel efficient, smaller engine options as a premium feature like ooh you you know like like ford it costs more to get the ford ecoboost which is just a turbocharged smaller engine with better fuel efficiency right because no one it's a post horsepower world nobody cares that much and they would rather have enough power and the extra fuel efficiency Right. Well, I don't know how much fuel efficiency even plays into it in this case, but you know, if you wanted a larger bike, and if you want something that's actually worth taking the time to customize, well, now there's the Rebel 1100, which is at least in, you know, in the ballpark range of kind of a cruiser displacement. And it's, and it is a bit more of a cruiser you know, form factor than the Rebel 500 is. So it's kind of getting attacked at both ends. I agree. Well, the for me with the Rebel 500, um, part of the brilliance of the Rebel 300 is it's a it's still a very high quality bike at the minimal for for the minimal investment. Right. So why would you make it more of an investment without a very meaningful horsepower bump? Yeah, there's that as well. I I know it sounds like, oh, you're going from 26 horsepower or whatever it is to um, like 26 horsepower or something to, what is it, like 42 in the 500, something like that? And it's like, well, that's like 60% more horsepower, Pete. That that sounds meaningful to me. Well, okay, except I, the Rebel 300 will still pull my gigantic ass down the highway at 70 miles an hour, or even 75 if I really hold it open. I I bet that extra 15 horsepower is only getting you to like 82 miles an hour. I, it's not really doing that much more. Well, also, you know, it, it's sort of like with the um, with like the W six fifty, you know, that's that's a fifty horsepower bike, and it's fine up to seventy five miles an hour, but like if you're starting to if you're starting to pass traffic and you get up to eighty eighty five, like it gets super sketchy. the The amount of extra horsepower you get doesn't really help you that much until you actually start changing like the the geometry of the bike so i don't know i mean yeah it'll go a little bit faster and well, accelerate a little bit better it's gonna but... have a little bit more roll-on power once you start getting past like 45 50 miles an hour is what the 500 is gonna have 
Right. But it's not like you would start with something a size of a W6, or a size of like the 300, and then like get up to the 500 and then just stop. Right. Well, and, and again, the, the, the 300 is that minimal investment to get you going with everything that you absolutely need and nothing you don't. And then you're right. You you skip a 500 and you go to something, what, you know, perhaps your forever bike or, or who knows whatever their option. But the point is that the 300 is your first bike. The 500 is your first bike is an extra, I think it's like an extra $1,200 on paper, but more like an extra $1,500 out the door, something like that. Yeah, it goes from like forty six dollars to $6,200. But we're talking about a bike that only costs five grand even out the door anyway. So why are you paying you know, 20% more for not 20% more bike? It doesn't you know, add up. You know what it is? You know when you go to the movie theater... And there's, like, a small popcorn option for, like, $7. Then there's, like, a medium popcorn option for, like, $10. But then there's the large popcorn option, which is twice the size of the medium option, but it's, like, $11. I I want to say something real quick. The, I think I just remembered that we picked the Rebel 500 for either best or worst bike. Or maybe I think we picked the 300 as worst bike or something on like episode 16 or some crap like that because it was like the opposite argument of this. And before we'd really, it, this was before we got scooters, before we realized, ooh, oh, that sort of 10 to 25 horsepower range is like a nice little sweet spot. And there's just sort of like 15 to 25 horsepower on either side of that. That's completely useless. Uh, well, not completely, but you know, you know what I'm saying? Like, cause, cause you, you know, like a, a Vespa with anywhere from 10 to 15 horsepower is enough to get you up to a good amount of speed, but it's not going to fight against any meaningful amount of air resistance. Right. Mm-hmm. Literally in a vacuum, it's 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 the world. But in the real world, it has a, a serious limitation, and you've really got to get to like forty five, you know, to fifty horsepower to overcome that. Mm-hmm. I'm personally not interested in anything much in be you know on on the road in between the Rebel three hundred and like a, a Moto Guzzi V seven. Right. I'm I'm just not. Uh, personally, I know there's things, but it, I just kind of I don't know. That's my thing. I yeah. Uh. Well, anyway, the the point I was making is like it's sort of like it's like going to McDonald's and getting the medium soda. Well, like, actually, all sodas are cheap at McDonald's now. But it, it's okay. Let's go back to the original one. It's like buying the medium popcorn. It makes no sense whatsoever because the cost benefit, like it's better to buy the large popcorn and like throw a third of it in the trash than it is to buy the medium popcorn. Yeah. And that's kind of what the Rebel 500 is. It's this weird, 
it's this weird option where it, it it doesn't really make sense. Well, it's a bike that was never meant to exist. It only exists because they have 500 motors that they put in CB500Rs and CB500Xs. It it only exists because there's a Rebel 300 frame that they made sure they're like, well, whilst we're designing this, let's make sure we can put the 500 in it just like we did for the CBR 300 and 500. But yeah. why wouldn't we, you know, but it could easily just not exist. It's just like, well, we have these frames and we have these motors and somebody out there, you know, we're going to make some sales because some people go, oh, if I could only just have this variation of engines and frames, that's my jam for starting off. Well, I think there's another element to it as well, which is when you think about it, because everything is so formulaic at Honda and how they create everything, you know, besides Goldwing and a few other small things like everything's very formulaic where it's like here's the frame here's the engine and like okay here's your designation now it's you know and here's the trim so it's like you put the three together and you can generate a new bike generates the right word it's almost like honda's this ridiculous algorithm and you input this letter number combination on one end and this range of bikes comes out the other it's just predetermined and it will be in these engine formats and it will it's all just laid out right so at the moment you know besides like goldwing you know realistically like rebel is kind of another brand within a brand for honda it's yeah. been a stretch for a while, but I think they had to, they wanted to release at least two bikes, so they're just like ah, put the the CB five hundred X motor in it. Second bike done. Yeah, that's a good point. That that um, I could have. We 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 need to do a uh, a whole. I don't know if it's a how to sound like you know what you're talking about. We need to do a whole segment on motorcycle brands within brands. We, we're talking about the stretch on uh, Yamaha's making by trying to just make the letter R a brand, which is, I, I think, a little bit much. But I, it was weird. I was talking to I was talking to Junkie from uh, uh, from Creative Writing, and I was like, I was like, yeah, okay, so I, I'm a let's say um you're uh i i'm a i'm a oh my god i'm losing my train of thought i'm a <laughs> i i'm a bit i'm somebody at yamaha and i'm like hey boss you know how like a lot of people really struggle to uh make sure like you know yamaha pianos and motorcycles are two separate brands but people confuse it all the time they're like yamaha aren't those the people that make clarinets and shit okay i know that's a big issue for this big corporate umbrella structure but i want to make sure that people are really really aware of the difference of this one specific line of motorcycles that we're making and then the president of yamaha is like i'm giving you a promotion in fact, I'm giving you back the promotion that I took away when we got rid of the star line of motorcycles, <laughs> right? <laughs> I, <laughs> but what's happening? Why? What, what's going on? It's very Harley Davidson. Like, hey, we're going to do this thing. Oh, no, we're not going to do it. Oh, we're doing it again. Uh, just pick a plan and fucking stick with it for once. Yeah, uh, but anyway. 
so yeah, uh, yeah. Basically, the, the CB five hundred. You know what this the 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 not CB the the Rebel five hundred is. It's motorcycling's least expensive bad value proposition. It's a bad yeah. value proposition disguised with a low price tag. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Okay. So, should we move on to best bike in the world this week? Yeah, let's do it. Okay. Here we go. And the best bike in the world this week is another motorcycle we've talked about before. And this is one that I'm taking out of the worst bike and dumping into best bike. I'm going with the Victory Impulse. Okay. So we've been doing a dive on electric motorcycles and engineering behind it and you know how you really implement this technology well in a motorcycle and you know a lot of people want to go with the hub motors for various reasons a lot of people want to go with centralized motors for a lot of reasons uh, you really like the idea of dual motors, especially dual motors with different purposes. And basically in this best bike in the world here, I'm giving you a gift, Swigs. You get to go into a lot of detail. But the reason I think the Victory Impulse is the best bike in the world this week is really early on in electric motorcycle days. This bike came out with, okay, a limited range. I think it was like 60 miles or something, maybe even just 50, which is not amazing, but hey, it still works. And, you know, I could still go to work and back on one just barely. Well, actually, actually no, I quit my job. But anyway, but before that, um, and, and that was that was really good range for the time this bike came out, because this was like, what, 2012? I think these were first available. It's been a hot minute. Uh, under, uh, I don't think you could, I don't think they were under the Impulse, under the Victory brand at that time. Um, um, I can't remember who sold them before. Oh, it was uh, Bra... Bra- uh, Bramo? Bra- yeah. Yeah, uh, it was Bramo, then the Victory. That's right. Um but anyway, so this bike comes out and everyone's like, why does this bike have a clutch? Like, why well, actually, does this bike have gear? Why is this bike chain drive? Why wouldn't you take advantage and make it just direct, like, single gear? And well, that's what people say now. But when we were, when everyone was first seriously considering electric bikes, um, and especially like, you know, when it, when people realize that, like this was gonna possibly be a thing, like way back when Harley Davidson was um was like demoing. Oh yeah, the the, the, the first live wire, the right. actual prototype live wire, project live wire, right? Right. When people started realizing that like electric motorcycles could be a viable thing that might become a mass consumer product. The conversation that was going around everywhere was, 
I don't think I want to own a motorcycle that doesn't have a clutch. Right. But that wasn't the reason that they put a clutch in this. Because the reason is, is that this was so let's actually let's back up just a little bit and describe what this bike is. This is a fairly normal for electric bike styling, especially at the time, because electric bikes at this time were like electric cars. They were all like Jetsons mobiles, right? Uh, my personal favorite horrible looking electric uh, motorcycle ever is that BMW Isle of Man bike with like oh, the, yeah. the shark gill batteries and everything. <laughs> I might, we might have to revisit that for a worst bike in the world at some point. <laughs> that thing was ridiculous. Um, but yeah, so this bike is way early but its only fault was battery technology. If you take away the short range and the slow charging, uh, because that just simply wasn't available, I don't know why someone isn't recreating this bike with uh, 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 the motors and the efficiency that we've gotten to today, because I think this is the best bike in the world this week because it's the winning formula for an electric bike. I bet there's just a bunch of patents on this thing that people are waiting to have run out. Uh, potentially. Cause, cause well, explain to people why, uh, an electric motorcycle with a gearbox swigs, if you have a single motor, is not as dumb an idea as it sounds on the surface. Uh, well, yeah. So, you know, everyone kind of thinks, yes, you know, an electric motor can just, you know, spin up to like 30,000 RPM and it doesn't really care. There's no reciprocating parts in it. And so you can just do whatever you want on that end. That's somewhat true, but there is a formula. Um, if anyone wants to really get into this, there's um, a YouTube channel owned by uh, for Grin Technologies who do a lot of e-bike stuff and they explain a lot of this. For a lot of these permanent magnet motors, there's something to do with the number of... Um, like winds on each coil and every motor essentially once you put it into a bike when you compare like the rpms of the motor to the wheel and whatever gear ratio you've got in between there's kind of an optimal uh voltage to rpm ratio for like the motor and the wheel and you've got to kind of you got to kind of tune that because when you get too far either side of that you actually end up running really inefficiently like there's a lot of electric motors that actually run more efficiently by going faster well right yeah it turns out that these motors just like an internal combustion engine wants to do an rpm in a in top gear at 55 miles an hour because that's its most efficient range this exists in motorcycles as well by having this gearbox i'm oh, sorry it's will have an electric <laughs> motorcycle yeah by having a gearbox you will extend the range 
But not only um, that, like by changing the gearing, you're essentially giving yourself five different engines and five different electric motors by extension. Yeah, I don't entirely know if it's if it's like if it makes perfect sense to do it in the way that they did it because they did have a six speed gearbox on it, which did seem a little superfluous. Six speed gearboxes were super duper in fashion. There was no reason not to. But yeah, two or three speed gearbox I think is a totally viable idea for an electric motorcycle. Yeah, uh, it was also really funny because. Um, like, because it was an electric motor, you could do really weird things, like pull away from a dead stop in sixth gear. <laughs> right. <Yeah. laughs> it's like, what is going on? But again, it, you, it feels... you give back users all that clutch control stuff for, you know, parking lot slow maneuvers and all those things. But also, they did it because it increased the range of the bike, which was already super compromised because of the not great batteries because of the inefficiencies of the motors and all these other things. They actually did quite a lot with this bike by engineering it the way that they did. It's yeah. only fault is it's from like 2012, not to, if, if, if someone made like an impulse two today, it would be so much better. It would be amazing. Yeah. I do wonder if you could have like a two speed gearbox and do something interesting with it like that um well also like i don't know who else put out like an actual production electric motorcycle you know at that time because yeah, this was this was a fully fared electric sport bike uh, i wasn't fully fared it's somewhere in between half fared and and naked bike uh it's or at least the victory ver version um oh yeah yeah sorry i'm thinking of something i'm thinking about the the lightning um it has yeah. a, it does have a little bit of a buell-esque something to it but yeah you know but, i know that we ragged on the looks of this thing before but given a couple more years now it's actually starting to look a little toned down and and uh, I feel like how crazy aggressive motorcycle styling has become has improved the look of this bike. Now that I'm so used to looking at motorcycles that look like I'm going to cut my hand and get tetanus because they're so pointy and angular <laughs> and, and everything, like this is starting to be like, oh, well, this is more of a traditional, normal-looking motorcycle. <laughs> well, this is before... Uh... Kawasaki went crazy with the bug-eyed headlights. Oh my gosh, too. This uh this bell helmet this guy is is wearing in this shot really dates the picture too. Remember the what was the the bell helmet with the um with the like the the shark teeth thing over the right that oh, helmet yeah. that everybody bought in 2016? Yeah. So I I think the only um the only bike that was the only other electric bike that was like something you could just buy at the time was the zero. I don't know if there was anything else. So, I mean, ultimately they kind of got screwed when they got bought out by victory and then the brand immediately died. Right. Well, actually this was so that, so I guess they would have got 
was it 16 or 17 that victory went on that they closed victory oh uh i think they announced it in like the beginning of 2018 middle of 2018 it was after we started the podcast and but but the company still existed for another year Mm -hmm. But they just they announced somewhere in 2018. They're like, "Oh, the brand is going away. We're gonna we're gonna start selling out existing stock." Like da 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 da, da. you know. And there were still victory, you know, signs on the sides of dealerships and stuff for another couple years. At you know, um, it they the middle of 2018 they started the process of killing it. Um, so yeah, this had like a year and a half to try to do something under the victory and and as brahma before that they just kind of weren't widely available so never even really had a chance but it, it i feel like this bike was just to prove that it could be done mm-hmm. and get knowing exactly what the limitations were i don't think anyone could have done any better than this at the time yeah well also you have to keep in mind like what was the fast charging infrastructure in 2013? Nothing. Nothing. Yeah. Like you were super hot shit progressive if your town had like four fast charging stations <laughs> in 2013. Not only that, but this is really long lived technology if you think about it. How quickly have electric bikes started going out of date? In recent years. In fact, Zero had to introduce this whole structure where to to um, to encourage early adopters, they had to say, Well, listen, we we are building, we are we are committing to these frames. So you will be able to, for the next decade at least, be able to upgrade your motors and batteries at cost from the factory. Because people are like, well, why would I buy this when all the technology is just going to change? Right. So, so yeah, this thing existed pretty much unchanged for like 2012, 2013 through 2018. Uh, what, what in the electric world was viable all the way through that? Uh, I don't know if there was anything else besides the Zero. Exactly. So... Um, yeah, a lot of people have taken shits on this thing, but I think history is going to remember it as, um, like a really early bike that nailed a really good formula. I mean, I know the way zero makes bikes makes a lot of sense as well, but I think this specific setup with the gearbox and, and all the things about it is going to come back. Because uh, it, what, what got me thinking about this was you talking about how we were trying to crunch the numbers on could you make uh, an electric cruiser? Is there a way to do that? And this is when you were introducing me to the idea of these ideas of the motors being just absolute garbage efficiency at low speed. And you were saying like, well, what you would want is sort of a low range motor and a high range motor. And maybe you could just put a motor in the front wheel that gets you moving. But then once you're past like eight miles an hour, it starts shifting off power to a central motor or a motor in the back wheel. That's then has a better efficiency. And then if you put a gearbox on top of that, 
you know, with a couple gears, you can always be getting max efficiency because at this point, it, you know, it's Formula One with electric vehicles right now. We're we're fighting for small efficiencies everywhere to get an overall picture of better range and faster charging. Right. And I think the trade-off of a gearbox is worth it. One, because people enjoy playing with it, right? And two, it, if you're going to create something, people are eventually going to require that they need to be able to do 50-mile, 60-mile highway stints without it being a big deal. Yeah. And right now, that is that is all your battery, Okay. The, I, okay, you just bought a zero with a 200-mile range. Do 60 miles at 75 miles per hour and tell me how much battery you got left. Right. Because I'm pretty sure that's 90 to 100% of all your freaking battery. Yeah, I think it's like right now, I want to say... Well, actually, no. No, I did the math on this before. It was like... um. It's like 14 kilowatt hours, like, or 14, 14 miles per kilowatt hour on, on a zero. Uh, and right now, like if you, if you pick the right motor and, and, and combination, if you pick the right motor, there, most applications, you know, in that optimistic kind of city driving scenario you should be able to get you know closer to like 25 or 30 you know if you're not making any trade-offs whatsoever so it would be interesting to see you know what that victory impulse configuration would do with with modern batteries I, I think it would do a lot. And yeah, I think, like I said, uh, given sort of the knowledge and the practicality and what had been tested and what we knew a, a couple of years ago when we said this thing was total garbage, what were they thinking? I, I don't think we can be blamed. I think now that new shit has come to light, I'm I'm looking back a lot more favorably on this and I'm wondering why Indian has been so quiet on the electric front. And I think when they finally do have something I think it's going to be a lot like this. Because they own this already. And I think they're just sort of waiting for a moment where the motors, the batteries, and everything are a lot more standardized. Because mm-hmm. it's one thing to to make a bike like this and put it into production. It's another one to do that and then immediately have to reconfigure everything a few years later. So I think they've got a winning formula to, to bring this back. Um, I think it'd be really fun since they own the victory name and everything, you know, we talk about brands inside of brands, like why not just use victory as an electric brand within Indian? 
That actually makes a lot of sense. Or Impulse could be the brand within the brand. Yeah, for, for, they still for own you. the name, that, then that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, it's got a built-in legacy. It's not legacy fraud. Yeah, it'd be the first thing that India did that was not legacy fraud. It would be, I think it would work out really well. And um, and, I, and I think this is, like I said, we're just with with some slightly better batteries, some I, the big thing with this is going to be more efficient motors. The, the motors have come so far, a lot further than the batteries really have. So there we go. Maybe they'll even do a thing. I, I, I mean, there's probably nothing wrong with this frame even. Yeah. Where it's got like a, 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 a battery attached to the top and a battery attached to the bottom of it in this weird perimeter thing. I, I think it makes sense. Um, no one ever said this bike handled badly. I mean, everyone was a lot more focused on just the, the novelty of it being electric, but no one was like, uh, it doesn't turn or anything like that. So yeah, there's, there's nothing about the geometry or, you know, the forks, the controls, the tires, the, the brakes, the frame or anything that needs to be engineered. It just simply needs to deliver on the electric promise. And that's becoming a more and more viable thing. I, I like the, I like the chain drive gearbox model. I like the idea of an electric bike with a clutch. I, you know, the electric future is not necessarily clutchless. I think a fully, a full clutch and six speed gearbox is maybe excessive, but I like the concept of having some sort of gearing. Maybe there's a better way to do it. I mean, maybe we're going to put centrifugal clutches and shit on these big bikes. I don't know, but, um, I'm into it. So there we go. All right. Uh, let's move on here. Cause I think we're going to try to make this a shorter episode. What did we want to do? I had some news items. Oh yes. On this electric front. So, uh, MCN ran an article, uh, last week. There's some sort of new, uh, battery and, um, and it's just in scooters and what's it called here? What's the company's name? It was like, ma, it began with an M. Um, anyway, when talking about electric vehicles, it's always this thing of like, oh, there's going to be a new breakthrough in battery technology. And it turns out there never really is. But people have been talking about supercapacitor stuff for a while, and someone is claiming to have one that's viable. And But like everything else, it's coming with a trade-off. So I'll tell you all the amazing things about this first, and then I'll break your heart at the end. So this battery charges in 90 seconds or or can charge as fast as 90 seconds it's um it will not cost a lot apparently but the trade-off oh it, it can um take crazy crazy amounts of heat which is why it charges so fast it's a some sort of 
they say it's like a it, it's like a lithium carbon hybrid. It's like half capacitor, half lithium battery. I don't really know exactly. Um, but the problem is the capacity of the battery because it's like a large capacitor. So it only has enough juice to take a scooter about 10 miles. Yes, yeah, so I uh, I'm familiar with this. I've well not this in particular, but I've seen a lot of like a lot of companies trying to do this sort of thing. And it's kind of a it's a common concept to have like yeah, the this cuz supercapacitors, you know, functionally they are batteries. But the properties of them are that they can charge really quickly. Uh and they can discharge really quickly and they can do it very efficiently, but the actual energy capacity of them is way lower. But the advantage is to do something like have a, have a supercapacitor paired with a battery because of the fact that if you only need a charge to go a short distance, you discharge the supercapacitor. But also the supercapacitor is way better to fill up is way better to charge with something like regenerative braking. So it makes your regen braking more effective as well. Um, but yeah, people have been talking about this kind of vehicle f- for a long time. and But they've mostly been looking at it in like terms of electric cars. Well, I think it makes a lot of sense for motorcycles. So if the infrastructure is good enough, I... I, I could I could understand a, a compromised electric cruiser motorcycle model where you decide, okay, I'm realistically going to have 80 miles of highway range and I can recharge that in about an hour. something like that might be, I still think that's kind of a reach for this, like with the numbers they give, because they're saying, so a scooter that can go about 10 miles in optimal conditions can recharge in 90 seconds. And, you know, currently that takes like half an hour or something like that. And as it scales up, you know, it's a lot lighter. I think the idea is, well, if it just charges super duper fast, you don't really care what the mileage is or what what the what what the range is as long as it's enough to do the one single thing that you're doing at a time so right. maybe if you've got to wait for 45 minutes or half an hour to charge up a big electric harley to go 80 miles on the highway well that's not a big deal you don't mind stopping every 80 miles to spend half an hour charging you'd be spending half an hour at the charging station anyway but the big de- but the big deal with this is supposedly okay you could scale this up so you could get a 300 mile range out of something and charge it super fast but because you have the super fast charging you don't put any more battery into something than you absolutely need to have everybody wants uh, a tesla that can go 200 250 300 miles but they want that so they can go longer without having to charge. If a Tesla could charge in half an hour, you don't give a shit if it's only got 100 miles of range. 
So the big implication here is that we won't think about range at all. Well, I think I, I think you would still think about range, but it's it's no longer a crisis. Like if so, you're in okay, the city, we, we would think about minimum range rather than right now we're focused on maximum range. Right. Yeah. Because it, well, it's no longer a crisis anymore. Because like, if you do run out of if you're if you're not going to have enough charge to get home, it's like oh, well now I just need to stop at a fast at a quick charge station for for like two minutes and thirty seconds of that is just plugging it in, and then you're good to go. So it just becomes it becomes about as much of an inconvenience as like stopping at a gas station just to fill up your car regularly if you screw it up. Yeah. Now I think the company that's doing this is also the company that makes the new scooters. Or maybe it's the company that makes the currently makes the batteries for the new scooters. NIU, those ones that we were super duper impressed with. So I I mean I mean, I could be convinced, but again, you know, your town needs to have the the infrastructure for it. We're still a ways out from this being a common thing. But the I um, what what could this do for things like um, I, I increasingly see people using stuff even around here, where you would think this is normally a big city thing. People riding around on one wheels. And little like $1,500 electric scooter things that maybe have four miles of range. You know, they charge them up at home, like bird scooter type stuff. I see people riding stuff like that around town because that's what they can afford. And there you go. And especially while the weather's warm. So I think we might naturally, like, I, I, I looked at those things at first as sort of like toys for rich college kids. And it kind of turns out that they are increasingly becoming transportation for a lot of low-income people because no one can well, – it's also kind of tragic because if you look at what one of those one wheels actually costs, there's quite a sticker shock. And so it turns out that a lot of people who are super-duper broke are financing one wheels. I can't imagine having a one wheel as like as a necessity. It's becoming a thing. I know, it's weird. I but hey, that's I mean, I like the idea of like e-bikes as mm-hmm. as dedicated transportation. And in a lot of places it an e-bike may be like the fastest form of transport. Like if you live in New York, like I don't know how you how you could get anywhere any faster than on an electric bike. Yeah. Unless you have a helicopter. Right. <laughs> well, I've wanted a little mini blimp for I don't know how long. But the um <laughs> The, 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 yeah, the, the, when at a certain strata of society right now, there's a lot of people that are getting on Amazon and, you know, going on the internet and going, hmm, I've got a big decision. Do I buy a two stroke kit for my bicycle or do I finance a one wheel? Like it's, it's, 
it's happening more and more and more. I've never seen so many two-stroke bicycle engine kits as I have in the last six months. Yeah. Yeah, I guess I have seen quite a, a lot of bike kits as well. Who knew they were going to make a big comeback in 2021? Who knew? But they sure are everywhere. Yeah, I mean... They're weird. They're Nazi. noisy. They're the people like they don't. They break all the time. I think I would. I would think of them a lot more favorably if we could just get a little uh, two-stroke bicycle racing league together. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I was gonna say. Um, I, I mean, I, there's not much more to say about it. Um, I, I, let's just keep moving here. I've got a, I've got another little, little news item for you. Have you, uh, have you seen the new Royal Enfield 350? No, I have not. I just want you to Google this, and I just want to see your reaction. Because this is quite something. This is really something. This is. You know what? I'll I'll break the tension. This is really disappointing. So, you know how Royal Enfield put a new unit construction motor together and they upped the quality and I'm not going to say they fully joined this century, but they they moved at least into mid-90s or late-90s sort of technology and engineering in the new uh, 650 motors, right? This is a regressive move. From what I can tell, th- this is the old motor that was hardly any better than the one from the 50s. Like, yeah, it's fuel injection. Because, I mean, you know, they made like a classic 500 and everything. Yeah. Th- this is just that again. Uh, how could they have made so much progress and then this is the 350? I I am flabbergasted. After the success of the Himalayan, after the Continental and Interceptor 650, why are we getting this piece of crap? I don't get it. Um, it... I mean, it looks cool, like Royal Enfields all look cool, but did we need to bring back the toaster battery box? Was that a necessary feature? Yeah, I mean, the only thing that this looks like it is, is it's it's a it's a unit construction version of the old motor, right? I mean, am I on drugs? Is that what's happening here? I. Well, I mean, I can somewhat defend it in that it's, you know, it is kind of in a dis, you know, three. If, if you look at this from the perspective of this is a premium motorcycle uh, to compete with like the with the Hondas. And it's really like a large displacement for an Indian motorcycle. 
then it makes sense. As an export to America, this makes no sense whatsoever. This costs the same as a Rebel 300, and it makes almost half the power. Oh, no, this is not to compete with the Rebel 300, to compete... What, what, what do they call it? What was the, the... The 350 clone they made for India? Oh, the CB350? Well, it's not called the, the CB350. Yeah, it is. It's called like... No, Honda made a single... Honda is making a single 350, and it's the CB350. Oh, they gave it a, no. They gave it a different name. Well, yes. Oh, oh, a, oh, 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 yeah. It was called the uh, the Highness. The Highness. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love that name. It's no Unicorn Dazzler. No, but it's it's not a far. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. This so this is clearly yeah. Th- this makes a lot more sense in India. Absolutely. Yeah. But as an export, it's pointless. Uh, yeah, the, the, I mean, all I wanted to do was mention it, but I have the same takeaway as I have from the CB350. Okay, these might technically become available in the United States, but don't get excited. Just don't. It's not worth being excited about, because if it does show up, you're not going to be able to find one reliably, and there's better options everywhere you look. I know it kind of looks cool, but I, these things are all, it's, I mean, eh. maybe this, this is just a shrunk down version of the twin unit construction motor and it's fine. Maybe I'm just not seeing good pictures of it, but it doesn't. You know, oddly though, if you were to buy one of these here, yeah. It may actually have better parts support than a Honda Highness. Oh. <laughs> who knows? Who who knows? Well, no because um the whole thing about the Highness is that you know India has India is a lot like Brazil in mm. that it has like these super super hardcore uh protectionist um oh yeah the tariffs. import taxes and tariffs yeah it's insane the import so, and export yeah. so like anyone anyone like yamaha or honda who like makes bikes in india basically has to partner with a company in india like you can't as as a as a foreign company like you can't there's nothing you can do to import stuff oh this thing officially has um uh, th- there is something about this that I forgot to to mention. It has those Bibray uh, brakes on it, which is the 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 Brembo brand within a brand for their budget brakes. Oh, yeah. So basically, just the fact that something has Brembos anymore doesn't mean anything. Means nothing. If Royal Enfield three fifties are carrying the the budget i mean uh brembo is just a a word for brakes now right i i i think honestly like although like like take like a take brakes like nissan which don't normally carry the prestige of brembo i think there's a guaranteed bottom quality where i don't think brembo has that anymore now Brembo just means brakes of 
uh, I don't know what quality. Where Nissan at least guarantees you're in the top half of quality of brakes. Mm. Well, I mean, it's sound. I mean, it it that it's kind of disappointing. But at the same time, like every brand, kind every kind of like satellite brand around a set of products, like does this every now and then, like, um. Like, even, like, Kawasaki, like, putting their name on, like, Chinese air compressors, and Snap-on has put their name on a lot of Chinese garbage. Yeah. That has definitely hurt the brand. Well, they're not, they don't put it on the actual tools, they put it on things that surround the tools, like flashlights, gloves, you know, magnetic trays, but that stuff's all garbage, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I know what you're saying, but um, anyway, yeah, the 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 Royal Enfield 350. Don't get too excited. It's it's just a thing. It's not. I still think the Interceptor is is a great bike. I still I really enjoyed riding that. It's in that sort of Moto Guzzi V7 category of bikes for me. Yeah, uh, and it, it well it's, it's it's just a great little bike like for the price and for if yeah. if that's the style of bike that you want it's a great third motorcycle to have <laughs> uh i mean i think it's a great only bike for a lot of people but um i mean it it's it's if you wanted a new w650 it's about as close as you get yeah yeah okay all right, um, let's see. Should we just go into GP now? I think that's what we should do. We're at, we're at an hour. Yeah, let's do that. <laughs> yeah, let's do it. Okay, so moving into Mizano, the last three rounds. The last time we talked about GP, what I said was this. I said, whatever happens at Coda, I think that the those racers are going to carry the same momentum into the last three rounds. And... I think I'm kind of set up to be right about that. So let's go through the the championships and our key players and many and maybe just some other noticeable people that are making some waves, right? And let's start with Moto Three. So Moto Three is interesting because we had this breakout star at the beginning of the season who's fading fast at the end, but he still has enough points. He could realistically retain this lead. And I don't think he's going to increase his lead. I think he's just going to be trying to hang on to enough points to sustain it. Right. Right. It, it, it's like, it's like trying to conserve your money in your retirement, right? The, you know, you know you're going to spend it all. You're just trying to stretch it for the last like four years of your life. You know, he he he's trying to write his last check on the day he dies, right? Right, <laughs> and hopefully it doesn't bounce, so he walks away with the championship. So he's got. So he's. Yeah. So. It it's also so strange in that like we haven't really been taught. I mean, everyone's seen like Sergio Garcia and Dennis Foggia 
like kind of constantly up there in the points but like no one's really been called out for any stellar races and it and as far as i know pedro acosta only has one crash and now he's only 30 points up right so he's just he's got to get top 10 finishes and hope that no one walks away with all three races uh essentially yeah like if he just comes like fifth every race he wins right but that's still not a guarantee the way he's been fading like he's got his current trajectory makes it way too close for comfort he's got to step his game up a little bit right yeah well also he's kind it's his first season well this second half of the season kind of looks a lot like Quateraro's first season, except that he actually just won a shit ton of races in the first half of the season. It'll be interesting to see because, you know, oddly, since Marquez, um, nobody has really come out in dominant fashion, like after, like, just sweeping moto three yeah there's been a lot of moto three phenoms that have just become okay as far as the gp class goes yeah uh yeah i mean i mean it's unrealistic to expect there to constantly be mark marquez's being pumped out by moto three but i i get what you're saying yeah so yeah yeah we we really like to 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 make a big deal about these rookies that get on a hot streak, but it's just a thing that happens. And there is still only a percentage of them that will keep it up. Right. It, you know, or are they just random results, right? The, the random thing about randomness is that it doesn't look random. Is, is he just getting an average number of wins over a moto three career? And they were just bunched up in the beginning. Cause statistically that's going to be someone's career. Yeah. I mean, I think it's pretty clear that he is super talented. Um and also it you know, we this is still another COVID season. It's still fucking weird. So who knows? But the main thing is you know, this guy that we thought was going to have like a Marquez type season in, in Moto three, uh hasn't really worked out that way. It's but it's been a slow fade. It's still satisfying, though, because his first half of the season is still really amazing. Can't take it away from him. Having that many wins in any class your rookie year is a big deal. And he's still in the lead. And honestly, I if he had sewn up the championship four races ago, that's kind of a snooze fest. Yeah. I mean, I always kind of enjoy a second place championship battle more than others because they're always tighter. The biggest gap is always between first and second place. So, well, not always, but almost always. So the second, third place battles, you know, at the last rounds are always really good because it's just down to one or two places. Mm-hmm. So the very specific you know, places that everyone comes in in the last few races are so important. And you get people fighting tooth and nail for every single position. So we're in. So we're in for uh, a couple hungry people. Who are our biggest uh, threats to the championship in Moto Three right now? It's um, so it's Fadja and Garcia. 
There we go. Um, but they're respectively 30 and 50 points back. Uh, so I, I guess not real. I mean, Garcia could, but it would require at least like two DNFs effectively from right. Acosta. Right. But Faji, I think, has a real shot. He, cause he's been heating up a little bit. Now, is he going to sweep all three races? I don't think so. But I mean, it's Moto3. I've seen weirder shit happen. Yeah. Yeah. Well, remember when Betzeki was, we thought, um, was it he? Was it, did we think, Bet, was it Betzeki almost had it all sewn up in Moto3 when it was him and Jorge Martin? Oh. Or no, Martin almost had it sewn up, I think. Was that Moto 2 and then Bezeki? Uh, this was Moto 3. This was a great, I think this was like 2018. Maybe it was 2019. I think it was 2019. It was right. just like the craziest season ever. There were a lot, there were a lot of them. There were a lot of championship hopefuls like mid-season in Moto 3 that year. But it was, but it kept getting decided by DNFs. Right. Like the lead, it was either mm-hmm. first place or DNF. Yeah. Like all the time. Yeah, it's kind of fun. All right. So let's go to our momentum in in uh Moto 2. Um it's it's of all the 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 leaders that are dropping off, I think this is one of the lesser drop-offs. Um so our Australian boy, um what's his face? Um Remy Gardner. Remy Gardner. It pains me to say this. I, I think Remy Gardner is a super special rider. I think he's MotoGP bound regardless. And I don't think it matters. He's going to do, I think he's going to do at least Jack Miller type things in MotoGP. I don't know about this championship. I And if it was not for Raul Fernandez turning it on so hot right now, you know, I, it's Remy season, but somehow Raul has gone from that guy saying, Oh, here's for the haters that thought I wasn't going to win again and being super sore to changing his demeanor to super calm, like almost Zen like. Well, I think he's now just got the confidence that he knows he can do it, that he can pull it off. And yeah, I, um, cause that championship's really close now. What is it? Nine points, nine points. I, I just, I just see, Remy finishing two or three places behind him in at least two races. Yeah. I mean, I see a lot of like, I see Raul winning at least one of these last three races and Remy getting third or fourth on at least one of these last three races. And without a DNF from Raul, I don't know how Remy brings this one home. Yeah, it seems like something has just clicked that has given Raul like just an extra tenth. Right. And we're going back to a track that he just won at. I he's got all the momentum right now. And I he and just making the gains that he has, especially at Coda like I I don't I I feel like I just see it go in that direction for him. I yeah, I, uh, I mean, again, deep in my heart, I want Remy to win, but I think I've got to call this one for Raul. I think I do. I th- I see him making up those nine points. 
Yeah, and you know, even with Remy ahead, it just there's been such a strong, consistent trend with Raul in these last like five races that it it almost seems inevitable, despite how close it is. Right. So that that's my that's my hot take. Raul's got the he. There's something about him and the team and the setup of the bike and the tracks and all of that KTM knowledge and all that hype behind him i just see it going that way um yeah and it's you know it's 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 never smart to bet against a spaniard in gp these days right yeah uh who else have we got that's sort of putting up noticeable performances in moto 2 um uh the only person is really uh betseki who's like 60 points behind in third. Wait, in the last three races, haven't we had two top 10 finishes for Cameron Bobier? Uh, did we? I think there were two top 10. It kind of got overshadowed by Raul. There was at least one. I think he got like a ninth or an eighth place in one and maybe 10th or 11th in another. Like, some mid-pack finishes. I mean, uh, it's still very little to talk about, but it's something. I don't... Um, mm, let me check real quick, because that, that doesn't... If he did, I, I completely blanked on it. Um, I got 11th in at, uh, at Coda. Well, he led for about a third of a second as well. <laughs> it's true. Uh, and then in San Marino, he was... Uh, where was he? It doesn't matter. The point is, is it, it is not a bad rookie showing for for that sort of thing. Like, he's... It, it's I've seen oh, yeah, worse. Sorry. Yeah. I mean, in fairness, it is Coda. It is like the only track right, yeah. that he probably knows better than everybody else. Yeah. Okay. And then, um, yeah, that, that's really about it. So so let's get to GP. GP. Um, uh, let's see. So Coda just happened. Marquez won. That, that wasn't a big shocker. Uh, I... I mean, it's such a grueling track. Like, it's so technical. And you really have to be there in person to understand why all the sections are so radically different. And I I feel like riding around it on a scooter, I would struggle. It, like, you know, <laughs> it's, it's, it's got a lot to it. And I guess it's, like, super rough now. And well, they, cause they said they the last time GP was there two years ago, they had to fix a bunch of the uh, the the straightaway. Yeah, well, so it's still a relatively new track, um, mm-hmm. and apparently, I don't know if this is just going to be a problem forever, or if it's something that uh, will settle eventually. Uh, but like, the track isn't fully settled on the ground in the ground so like it constantly shifts and especially when like formula one goes uh when when like formula one goes to it like 
all the corner, all like the hard corners and all the braking areas. Uh, apparently, like the track just shifts and develops bumps all over the place. Isn't the track like like fifteen years old or something though? Yeah, but like, I don't. Okay, well, it right. takes a while. All right, but or, or it may just be that just because of the ground there, it just never will settle. Hmm. Um. All right. Well, I okay. That's that's that track. Uh. But so okay. So Quateraro's probably got one of the bigger leads. He must have like the biggest lead. I think he's hovering around what. Almost forty points ahead. Fifty-two. Oh, was it that much after? Oh, yay! Okay, okay, okay. Yeah, it's been a little weird that like, yeah, we we've had all these different race winners and a lot of people like grabbing the spotlight, but Fabio got off to such a bit uh, a big early lead that even though like nobody's really been talking about Quateraro. Uh, he is still just like 52 points ahead. Yeah, so this one I'm calling for Quadraro because, yeah, his rivals were all kind of stomped down. I think, isn't it technically possible uh, um, Bagnaya could do this, but it's like, mm, we're going to need, we're going to have to, you know, we need some unforced errors from Quadraro. Well, if... If Bagnaya won two races and Quateraro DNF twice, he would still be two points ahead. So right. it's a lot to overcome. Like we could have like if 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 Fabio wins the next race, uh that's yeah. the championship. Right. Uh I mean you always like it just to stay open till the last race. Yeah. I mean um, technically if Bagnaya falls in the next race. It's it's basically decided. It is decided. Yeah, yeah, right. Which which you know makes it a much watch race, right? And it's Mizano. That's 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 a good race for some championships to basically be decided on. I'm I'm okay if if they aren't like mathematically sewn up. If they're basically decided by the next round, I'm good with that. Now the what may be interesting is that. Um second and third is significantly closer it's like 27 points so mir could fight for hard for a second place on the season yeah i mean that's less exciting i'm 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 honestly more excited about second place and things like moto 2 but whatever uh cuz gp is is just it's always for all the marbles right it's kind of win or go home. Like, no, I, I care more about Moto Two second place because those are up and coming stars, mm-hmm. and it, it's a closer pack o- often, right? Whereas GP, it's like okay, you're in the top class, you're here to win it all, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's obviously it's still an honor just to even be in the class, to even be considered. But y- you know what I'm saying? Uh, so uh, a couple interesting thoughts about about things in GP. Um, uh, people uh, have been talking about Bagnaya really turning it on on that Ducati. And that's interesting because what's that implication for next year, right? Um, somehow we've gone like six weeks and we've not talked about Maverick Vinales. And 
this super hard fall from grace. Like we completely, I don't know how, because this, this did not receive the coverage it deserves. Maverick Vinales threw such a bitch fit at Yamaha. He rode the bike around in like third gear, revving it out until he wrecked the motor and and claimed it was a it was a malfunction just because he didn't want to race because apparently he's a little bitch. And Yamaha did the correct thing and just fucking fired him and didn't put someone else in on another bike, just said, we're not running a second factory bike. We, we don't even care about the data. Go fuck yourself. Uh, I'm kind of surprised that Aprilia is having him. Uh yeah, it it's weird because it, how did he think he he was going to like get away with this? They they know what gear he's in at all times. The bike is communicating that back to the team. Forget the know. team knowing that. We know what gear he's in. When you watch the racers, it tells you what gears they're going through on the TV now. How, how did he think that this was going to... Comp- like, oh, yeah, the, the engine just blew up. I, I don't know what happened. Uh, I don't know. I, did he not realize or did he not care? Because I don't see any other possibilities. I don't know. In 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 a sport where your career ends up being so short, and after having come up and like gotten his big break, and you know being the favorite to really bring it to Marquez, and then just like completely floundering and failing to deliver, but still having that factory seat for so long. I think I just figured it out. What if someone at Aprilia put him up to it to get him in at the end of this season and get some base, essentially just free testing? I could see that happening. What if someone at Aprilia was like, listen, we can't tell you what to do, but if you got fired from Yamaha. But we, we we know that we could run a bike for the last five or six races, and it would put us so far ahead for next season. We could just treat their end of the season as testing. So we had to just, like, pull a George Costanza? Yeah, I, I think so. I think he pulled a George Costanza. Yeah, I think he wanted to... I think he was trying to get fired. I. It makes so much sense, right? Because there's no way Yamaha could keep him after pulling a stupid stunt like that. It's super obvious what he was doing. If you think about it, it's the perfect thing to do. Because because it's just... Yeah. Interesting. Crazy? Or crazy like a fox? Because that's not a bad bike anymore. And that totally explains why he's running in the back like he is he's not racing he's testing 
Because as much as Vinales has fallen off and everything, he's at least an Alicia Spargo level writer, right? Yeah. So the the fact that he's way back there, it makes a lot more sense that he's just he's just casual. He's just testing. They're they're working on setup, and they're taking all the time that they need because they've essentially got twice as long uh, a testing season as as everyone else. Yeah, makes a lot of sense. Mm, you heard it here. That, I mean, that's got to be that's got to be it. In, in this case, this really bumps Aprilia's Aprilia stock in my mind. <laughs> this is I'm just going with this as the truth. The, I, this isn't even a theory anymore. This is confirmed. This is exactly <laughs> what's happening. I don't want to live in a world where Aprilia didn't put him up to it. This is the kind of splash that Aprilia needs to make. Like Aprilia needs to be like um uh like like Leonardo DiCaprio on the Titanic. Like I'm dressed in a nice suit, but I totally don't belong here, right? Like I I you know, I I I'll I'll put on some pretty clothes and 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 play at the dance party, but I could pull a knife on you, right? Like <laughs> You know what I'm saying? Yeah. They 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 are not funded well as as opposed to everyone else. I mean, you know, we've talked about maybe Piaggio uh, whoever throwing in um a bunch of money. It could happen. Uh, but we'll see. But for right now, they're still very, they are an underdog team, but it turns out their bike doesn't suck entirely. We've, we've seen it perform with it, with everyone. So with the right setup, I mean, that's an interesting little thing. Um, uh, we need to talk about what's his face on Aventia. Um, 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 Bastianini. Put in a, a fourth place, starting from what, like seventeenth or something like that in um, Mizano. Is that right? Mizano fourth place, starting from seventeenth. He got. Uh, I think that's right. And oh, if it and it was is the classic thing. If he had started from seventh place or whatever, he would have been on the podium. It was a really good performance on what is clearly the worst bike. On the grid, I mean, there's no question. Yeah, Aventia is the smallest team, the the worst team, and he just he just did something with that bike. And you know, we we think of the Ducati as a good bike. That Ducati's two years old. I mean, you know, you say, well, it's a two year old bike. I, it's a two year old prototype bike i th- that is worth talking about i the it's not even that these bikes uh, these bikes are always changing so the fact that these bikes have old parts they may not be in tip-top shape anymore you can't just get these parts from just anywhere they're you know the like what is the current bike? The current bike is whatever list of parts they're using. They're prototype bikes. There's no standard thing. So what that is, is that's just a collection of old parts. Essentially. That yeah. he's racing. 
and some of them have changed, some of them are not. And, 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 and it being an old bike, is it the most optimal setup of old parts? There's that as well. You know, are there some things in there that are fudged a little bit? I don't know. But when you're talking about prototype things, right, this makes a difference. So he put something in pretty impressive on that bike. And I think that's worth talking about. He had, it's weird. He's having, I said, sort of the opposite season of Zarco. Zarco started really hot, just getting a lot of third and fourth places and then just kind of faded off. You remember like without winning a race and only podiuming a couple podiums, we were like, hmm, Zarko's in like second place, a close second place for the championship. Like this is weird. But they he's just kind of been sinking back, whereas um our, our Ventia boy has been slowly turning up the heat until all of a sudden we're like, what? He's up in fourth place? You know, they, there's I, I like it when these racers have sort of opposite seasons, right? Yeah. Uh well also it's it's from this you know, this um you know, on a bike that like could conceivably just not score any points in a season. But it wouldn't be shocking. Right. Yeah. Um we have to talk about Bagnaya. It, it he's not going to win the championship, but I do think his his momentum is largely gonna keep up. But he's a very young rider who is clinching, who is about to secure second place in the season on a factory bike. And I think he's clinching his factory spot. I agree. I think this is sort of like the, the, the Pedro Acosta situation, but I think Quadraro is going to keep it afloat. Yeah, I think I, I'm. I'm not even convinced Quadraro is going to win another race this year, but I think he's going to put in consistent second, third, fourth places, and bring it home pretty comfortably. I think Bagnaya uh, though is going to keep up his momentum and get another win, get another podium, and something else, and finish the season really strong with a lot of hype. I think he's our new Dovi. It's kind of looking like that, yeah. Yeah. I don't even know if he'll ever be a championship winner, but he's a new high-quality contender that we can't count out on any weekend ever. Right, but he's also arriving to the point that we saw like when Dovey was con- was um was really contesting Mark Marquez, but he's not already 10 years into his MotoGP career. Yeah, it's true. Um, let's see here. Uh, we need to talk about on that subject. Yeah. The Bagnaya Mark Marquez, uh, uh, battle in, uh, where was it? Um, was that Misano as well? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, they, they, he, they've had a couple battles now, but this last one was the, was really aggressive and, Especially Mark just passing him once, twice a lap and him taking it back on the next turn immediately every time. And then it was just so obvious him just coming back, coming back, coming back. And then he broke Marquez. And Marquez was racing like Marquez. Like it was sort of old Marquez, just 
He was giving no quarter. They were really going at it. And Mark has pulled a desperate move when Bagnaya finally broke him. It was a, hey, let's throw everything at this kind of turn. Uh, he just came in so hot. There was just no way it was going to work. But he was like, I don't know. Let's see what happens. This is the last thing I got. And Bagnaya broke him. Uh, it was super fun. Uh, it was like those moments when you're watching Moto3 and it just gets so hot for a moment. There's so much passing. Everyone's going for the same piece of asphalt. And you just know you're like in six more turns, someone's crashing. Like this ends in tears for someone. And that's how that battle went. I, it was great. I was an absolutely classic race. And I, I think it's also kind of a, a clear sign that the Marquez era is done. I think we're going to still have races where Marquez is very much relevant, a contender. I think we're going to see Marquez next year, maybe in the top three for points again. But I think his era of dominance is clearly done. We'll see. I, I, I've never seen anyone besides someone super experienced and coming to the end of their career like Dovi or Lorenzo take it to Marquez that way before. And now there's a whole pack of riders who are younger, not injured, you know, that have no legacy to protect or worry about or anything. I mean, he's got to fall at some point. I think this is the moment. I, I think he's going to continue to be relevant. I think he's going to continue to win races. I think Marquez has seen his last season championship victory. I mean, you also have to keep in mind that, like, Rossi was, like, 15 years older before you started to begin to doubt his potential to come back. Well, uh, yeah, but I mean, well, yeah, but the the history of Valentino Rossi is just so much different than any other racer. And it was also because he had gotten so much success past the age that he should have had it already. It was like, well, I don't know when when does this end? I expected Rossi's uh, wins to drop off a cliff immediately one day rather than than degrade over five or six years. I thought, oh, he's going to be Rossi until one day he's just not. And oh, that's, of course, how could it work that way? But, you know, he was he's Valentino Rossi. That, that, mm. I, I'm... I don't know. I, I think we're going to have... A couple more championships out of Marquez. I don't think so. I think... Well, I've already explained my position. But, I mean, who knows? Exactly. We don't know. That's why it's fun, right? Um, Who else is interesting in GP? Who's had an interesting season? Like, Who's got something that they want to bring home and kind of, you know... um, you know, like because like Brad Bender had his little moment to justify him being there. That crazy call, that wonderful race we've had. 
you know, as much as he's faded, writers like Zarco have proven like, hey, I could step up to the factory and be relevant. I can do big things here. We've had rookie performances that were great. We've had Mir turn it on a little bit more at the end of the season and prove it wasn't just the COVID year, like, you know, fluke. He's he's still like, you know, third in the points. He's not. It wasn't just dumb luck that he won last year. Um uh, something to keep in mind is, you know, even though it looked like last year he was fixing to really pull ahead and win it and take it off Quadraro, but then it ended up being Mir instead after he got injured, Rins has not had a great season. I was just about to say, Rins has had one of the worst seasons. But didn't he have a season like this right after he won the moto 2 championship i don't know but uh, mir has demonstrated that the suzuki is no slouch and to be 12th on a factory bike in the season right now with so much talent coming up yeah i mean there's always talent coming up but you're right there's an especially big big wave of it right now it's not great timing I think Suzuki's going to stick with him, but mm, he better produce more next year. Yeah. It's it's not been good. Um I mean Jack Miller has had a very Jack Miller season, you know, high, big high points, big low points. That's that's always Jack. I mean, we love Jack for that. I mean, Jack's delivering. Oh, can we stop for a moment and uh talk about Jack Miller? Uh, dressing down what's his face at the end of the race uh, last week. Um, um, who was it? Um, not Mir. Was it Mir? Someone pulled a dodgy move on on Jack. Well, Miller. you're gonna have to tell me because I can't just Google Jack Miller drama. Right. Yeah, <laughs> it was that Coda. Um, <laughs> here, that's Jack Miller. Who was it? Um. Uh, it, like someone is starting with, um, someone is starting with a, uh, a thing. Um, yeah, so it was Mir. So Mir, what was the, the what was it that he got here? But yeah, like the, it's an article here from motorsport.com. Mir doesn't respect Miller Coda GP clash penalty. So, so Mir got a penalty for uh, somebody do at turn 15. What was it here? Let's see. Um, uh, oh no, uh, Bastini took six. That's right. But, um, uh, but yeah, he, he basically like nearly took himself and Miller out and at, after the race, like Miller, they're both on their bikes parked over, like Miller pulled Mir over and just <laughs> got in his fucking face. I he like I I I can't Miller might have even like taken his helmet off to shout at him. It was a lot. Like it got camera time and <laughs> the commentators were like Simon was definitely like, oh yeah, uh, the, the 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 GP officials are definitely gonna be reviewing that. <laughs> um Miller was pissed about it, which I, 
I feel like it's worth it for Miller because it's so his brand. It's so, it's so on brand for him that I think Miller just needs to start blowing up and like threatening fist fights with racers about just really mundane things that are just normal racing incidents. I I think it raises his stock no matter what. And I'm I'm super duper into it all the time. And I love it because if you if you go back and watch what happened, right? So so everyone crosses the finish line and everything. And then, you know, they find those little moments of watching racers just kind of wave, you know, get flags out, do their little celebrations after it. It's this is still during the parade rap lap. It it you show that it shows the two of them like halfway up turn one or something. And Miller's just giving it to Mir, and Mir is doing that thing where he can't just buckle and 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 you know and like make it obvious that that you know Miller's correct, but he also doesn't have the balls to fight back. So he's just sitting there taking it, and he's doing sort of I don't know movements with my hands, like <laughs> uh, 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 and he just looks completely emasculated. And it's just a reminder that oh yeah, Jack Miller, it, you know, he's super friendly. Like he always gets a lot of camera time before the race because he's he's funny and he's really jovial but just but just underneath the surface is a little bit of bogan that's just ready to fucking throw down at any moment <laughs> and i don't know why because i'm not a violent person in any way shape or form but i find it really be really easy to be friends with guys that are quick to fight I don't know why I like that. Like a lot of my friends are quick to fight. And I just, I just find that those dudes are just usually just really funny dudes to be around. I don't know. Just wanted to throw that in there. Cause I don't think it got enough news coverage around the world. Uh, so yeah, I think, yeah, moving into these last rounds, I think our current winners are, are, Everyone that has momentum right now, I think, is going to keep their momentum. I don't know where it's going for Pedro. I think Remy's going to lose it. I think Quadraro's just going to be able to hang on to it. That's my prediction. What's yours? Um, I I think I think Rao's got him. I I think there's. Yes, we're it's, on the same page. It's in just too. he's just it's just too consistent, um, and it it seems like I think it also seems like it's a lot closer than it is as well because they're always finishing first and second. So Raúl is like capping out his point lead, his point gain as much as he can. He is like consistently finishing far ahead. Sometimes it's looking like there's a battle in the first five or ten laps, but it seems like it's always been clear at the end. Yeah. Yeah, I think we're on the same page with our predictions for once. That doesn't normally line up that way, but okay. Uh, well, it, it, you know, it's a good sign for me that we are simpatico on these predictions because I normally make especially bad predictions. That doesn't bode well for me then, does it? 
Well, uh, no, I think what well, your predictions are usually good. So I think maybe I've accidentally stumbled onto like you know, <laughs> a broken clock is right twice a day, right? That I think this is my broken clock moment, and I think that's signaled by the fact that we agree. Well, there you go. There we go. All right. So on that bombshell, let's end this one and bring it home. This is 169, I think. Remember, you can sign up for our Patreon, and there's going to be swag that comes with it now. It's no extra cost for you, as I understand it. It actually eats into our profits. It's uh, I think I think the model is like if you pay consist like if you have on time uh, pledges, you know, donations on your pledges for three months, you get stickers and mugs now. So you can get Nokomoto stuff for signing up for our Patreon now. I I made good on my promise, even if it's a little bit late. So with that, we are going to remind everyone to stay safe, stay tuned, keep fighting the dragon, and let's run the outro, which is on my phone, which I have turned off now because we've been interrupted six times on this freaking episode. Let's do it. And I don't want to die. I just want to ride on my motorcycle. Mm-hmm. Cold. 